So welcome to this special episode of Planet Possible. We're in the midst of interesting times politically here in the UK and a news cycle that's moving at lightning speed. The environment's featured heavily as part of government decision making and that's prompted an unusually strong response from members of the public and many organisations. I'm going to ask my co-host and a familiar Planet Possible voice to you, SIOM's Director of Policy, Al Chisholm, to bring us up to speed. But before he does, we're joined by two superb guests to help us understand what's happening, how we got here and what might happen next. The CEO of RSPB, Becky Spate, and the Wildlife Trust CEO, Craig Bennett. So a very warm welcome, Becky and Craig. Hi, good to see you. Thanks, Nikki. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Okay, so before we get into the here and now and whether we've passed the point of no return for decisions about our environment in the UK, I'm going to ask Al to remind us how we got here. Shortly after taking office, just a few short weeks ago, but what seems like an age given the dramatic events that have taken place in the meantime, the Liz Trust government introduced a very overt growth and deregulation agenda, its so-called growth plan. This was framed in broad terms as a war on what the ex-Prime Minister called the anti-growth coalition. Prominent in this group stood environmental campaigners and anyone who espoused the importance of strong regulation. Beyond this broad smear a range of specific measures which could have a dramatic impact on vital environmental protections in this country were announced. These included the Retained EU Legislation, or REAL, Bill. This will sunset, remove a raft of EU legislation by the end of 2023, unless ministers decide to retain it. A huge amount of it relates to environmental protection in the UK, and timescales are such that giving the process appropriate scrutiny and consideration is nigh on impossible. A planning and infrastructure bill, reducing planning constraints on development generally, but in particular relating to new infrastructure zones in 38 areas of the country, pretty much stripping out all environmental constraints on development in those areas and restricting them where major national infrastructure is being delivered. And a review of the environmental land management schemes, one of the universally regarded main Brexit opportunities, which framed farm subsidies around delivery of a range of different public, mainly environmental, goods through the use of public money. Bear in mind that these measures were announced against the baseline of the UK already being one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world. Despite pledges in the 25-year environment plan that this would be the first generation to leave the environment in a better state that it inherited, a country in which roughly 40% of species are in decline and 15% in danger of extinction. Against this landscape, a clear environment versus growth position was adopted, a position which prominent environmental economist Professor Ian Bateman described as specious, wrong-headed, outdated nonsense. As this narrative crystallised and the various measures were announced, there were seismic reactions in the environmental NGO community. RSPB kicked off with a series of very angry social media posts and very quickly the big three of the RSPB, Wildlife Trusts and the National Trust were very publicly expressing outrage at the departure from the Conservatives' 2019 manifesto and the apparent ripping up of any kind of meaningful green commitments and they attracted widespread mainstream media coverage in the process. A bigger cohort of 79 environmental organisations, including SIWEM, I should emphasise, wrote a letter to Liz Truss underlining this concern. Various political commentators warned government against stirring this sleeping lion of millions upon millions of environmentally aware members of these organisations, 
many of whom are core Tory voters. Now, after a tumultuous 44 days in office, Liz Truss has resigned. Who and what comes next, we don't yet know. But whilst the majority of fiscal measures in the government's growth plan have been reversed, those which so threaten environmental protection currently remain untouched. So the question now has to be, will sanity prevail? And will we move back to the trajectory set out in that 2019 manifesto, the 25-year Environment Plan and the Environment Act? Or has the deregulatory genie been let out of the bottle? And what do environmental groups plan to do next? Thanks, Al. A whistle-stop tour of an extremely busy and eventful few, well, I would say weeks, but maybe even hours. So let's bring Becky and Craig into the conversation. So maybe, Becky, if we start by you, can you start by telling us how this coordinated action even came about? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, actually, because it wasn't as though we had some grand plan in place. I think it was a very sort of organic upwelling of concern across the sector and across the general public, in fact. When we at the RSPB put that tweet out, I think on the Friday, it was a genuine, like, what on earth is going on type tweet. We were so furious to see this kind of accumulation of sort of proposals that were going to be so bad for nature. And I think, you know, over that weekend, we could sense across the whole sector that everyone was just aghast at what was being proposed. So it was a very kind of organic process in a way. But then we absolutely did come together. And I think we have been working very much side by side over the past few weeks just to make sure that we were able to tackle the specific assurances that we really need around this agenda. And we haven't got them yet. So, you know, we, we go on. That's been absolutely fantastic. That sense of kind of cross sector standing side by side and the public absolutely being with us. And Craig, maybe if I throw to you, so you, you started to touch on that, Becky, but what has the impact been so far? Well, the impact of, I think, our sort of campaign between all our organisations, particularly RSPB, Wildlife Trust and National Trust. I mean, I think it's really taken a lot of MPs by surprise. MPs are are getting thousands of letters from constituents, which I think is very, very welcome, and they're feeling that heat. And I mean, I think the government has been in retreat on this, and ministers who previously weren't reaching out to us suddenly have reached out to us and, and want to speak to us. Having said that, to what extent they've actually cancelled or changed their plans is a is another matter yet. Unfortunately, what's still on the table, and of course, you know, hopefully a new prime minister might take, take a different tack, but at the moment, right now, what's still on the table is still incredibly dangerous. You just take one element of it, like the repeal of EU retained law. Uh, that would see potentially the loss of something like 570 pieces of environment legislation. And Becky and I this week met with Jacob Rees-Mogg. He gave us some very, very high level, broad, what he's considered reassurances about that. But I don't think Becky and I went away much reassured at all. You know, this is still a devastating piece of legislation that would set us back decades. It's really, really concerning. And there's almost so much of it with that and the investment zones and the fracking ban and what's happening to the agricultural transition, the watering down of some of the ambition there as well all under this appalling narrative that somehow juxtaposes and pivots the environment versus growth. It's just such a backward agenda uh, and you put it all together, it's deeply concerning. Al, did you want to come in with a question there, by the way, for Craig, before I move things forward a bit? You've met Ranald Geraldina and Jacob Rees-Mogg now. Clearly, they didn't give you too much reassurance from, from what you said. Is it because you think they have a, a clear 
picture of what they want to achieve? Or do you think there is a fundamental failure to, to grasp how the environment and the economy should be in balance? Do they really get it? I think there's a number of things going on. First of all, this has been a government, is a government, has been a government that is deeply ideological driven. This is this is all about ideology, really, rather than, than policy. And it's important to understand that from our point of view, you know, it, we're not going to try and get stuck in the policy weeds of this because it is a big picture kind of political, ideological debate going on here. And we need to keep it at that, really, because we're very concerned about this ideology that's just pointing in the wrong direction and thinks all deregulation is somehow good. Um, I think the second thing on that, though, is I actually don't think they understand what they're doing on some of this. I don't. I actually, I think DEFRA, I think uh, the Secretary of State at DEFRA and Jacob Rees-Mogg as well are sort of surprised by just how much, it, you know, it seems like an easy thing. Let's just repeal EU-derived law. I don't think they had any sense that that would mean 570 pieces of environment legislation. And when you just ask, surely, you know, even a five-year-old would understand if you want to change that law and create UK versions of it, you know, do that first before you get rid of the old stuff. And it's just simple things like that that don't seem to be understood. So I think they have been kind of perhaps surprised by themselves about how much more is involved in this. But I also think it's just everything's moving very fast. I think our campaign has led to thousands of people writing to MPs. That's great. They find themselves caught in the middle of a stormness. Now, of course, the prime minister has resigned. So none of us quite know what's going to happen next. It is just that kind of that truth that right now to say a week is a long time in politics doesn't even feel like that does ju- justice you know <laughs> uh, one afternoon is a long time in politics right now and we just have to keep agile ourselves and just keep moving with it we talk about this being a decade for action we don't have much time to take meaningful action on the environment and, and climate but actually would it be beneficial to just take a moment step back and understand what the environment movement's concerns are properly, what the government wants to achieve, and just slow things down. Because as you say, it just seems like a, a whirlwind and, and pretty much a, a loss of control and a loss of visibility within that of what we really want to achieve. I definitely don't think we should be slowing down. <laughs> it's a really urgent situation. And you know, you say a decade, well, it's eight years now. You know, We've kind of lost two of those years, so it's eight years now. I think there are a couple of things going on. I think the tone around those proposals was really, really poor. And often when you talk to ministers now, they'll say, oh, yeah, we kind of got the comms wrong. Sorry about that. But actually, that tone, I think, was very indicative of a very old fashioned view of what economic growth means and looks like. I think there is a kind of a much more positive view of what economic growth alongside really good environmental recovery could look like. And it's actually really exciting. And we need to kind of shift towards that instead of this rather old fashioned framing, I think that would be really good. And that's some of what Craig was talking about when he talked about keeping things at that high level. The government itself has referred back to these absolutely totemic markers in the ground that it has and that it put in place. So, you know, the Environment Act target around halting the decline of species, the commitment to 30% of land and sea being protected and managed well for nature by 2030. There are these absolutely totemic markers in the sand. And the government refers to them as though that's the answer. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, that's actually where we're trying to get to. And the answer lies in putting together all of these mechanisms, having them all pointing in the right direction and all delivering rapidly on that agenda. And I think there's there's a bit of a sense that the scale of what is required was just not appreciated by, I think, some of those ministers coming in, coming into office in what was a very kind of sudden about turn. That is a growing realisation, I think, when I talk to ministers now, that there is this huge task to deliver and actually to absolutely be pulling apart the, the building blocks of being able to deliver that at a time when we've got real urgency around it is crazy. What I'm hoping is that with this sort of great reset that we're going to go through probably early next week, that there will be this realisation around both nature of growth that we want and what that could look like in a much more exciting agenda and also the kind of the need for the fundamental building blocks to be in place to let us even stand a hope of hitting those targets that keep getting referred to. You've talked there really articulately, Becky, about what you hope from government in the next week or few weeks. What do you want to happen next with the weight of public awareness that the RSPB, Wildlife Trust and, and almost the coalition that you've started to create. What, what do you want to happen next from that perspective? Where do you see that going? Well, I think it's really powerful. And we've seen that, you know, from the kind of the reaction that we've had so far. So I think we would be mad in our turn to, you know, walk away from that momentum and that power. What I'd love to see happen now is um, there are a number of things running which are about a much more propositional agenda for what this needs to look like. So there's there's something going on between ourselves, WWF, the National Trust, and then right across the sector helping with this People's Plan for Nature. So this is a gathering of thoughts from the general public and then a citizens' assembly around what we need if we're going to deliver nature's recovery. So that is a piece that's going on at the moment. We've got CBD15 coming up, which COP15, which is the big global framework for biodiversity recovery and setting that global framework again for the next decade. So that's coming up as well. And I think both those things are quite propositional in nature. They're going to say, look, we want to hit those targets and we want to hit them soon. Um, And so I really hope that we can sustain the momentum across the sector, but do it around those propositions and make sure that at the same time as kind of defending hard and making sure that the fundamental building blocks are not torn away, we can also make progress on a much more kind of propositional agenda, which will get us there faster and get us there better. That's the big win. The big win here is if we can get climate and nature taken really seriously and seen as part of creating a better world for all of us, including economic growth, then that is that's the big win. You know, we need to get into that space. I like it. Propositional rather than oppositional. Nature and growth do not need to be in opposition. Craig, is there anything that you'd add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's where we want to be. We want to be propositional. It's really frustrating to be bounced back into having to be oppositional because of these ridiculous proposals there. And I think to build on what Becky was saying there, you know, I'm desperate for us to have a grown up, sensible narrative and debate in this country about what kind of economic growth we want. The suggestion that all growth is good is we all know, you know, that's that's very outdated thinking. You can have some kinds of economic activity that are good for human progress, good for our physical and mental well-being, good for quality of life. And you can have some that are bad. You know, you could knock down all schools and hospitals in the UK tonight, demolish them all and rebuild them at huge expense. And it would add a few points to GDP. Doesn't mean it's a good thing to do. So let's have a sensible growing up conversation about the kind of economic activities that are good for progress and those that are bad. Secondly, then, I think what we have to be doing very fast, actually, in this next week is really trying to get any of the leadership contenders 
to become now prime minister again, to say early on that they're going to stop this ridiculous attack on nature. What does that mean? Rip up that ridiculous repeal of EU attained law bill. And then we can have a sensible, calm conversation about how we evolve old EU law into UK law and hopefully make it work better for nature, make it stronger protection and actually have a, have a better regulatory regime there for nature. Absolutely, you know, rip up these proposals for the investment zones and think again actually about how we can have a good quality of environment that attracts inward investment. Because if you look around the world, you know, some of the world's biggest firms, they want to invest in areas that have a good healthy environment, not a bad environment. Obviously, make sure that we get that agricultural transition working well so that we can have really ambitious approach to what we want to achieve in paying farmers handsomely to put nature in recovery as well as growing good, healthy food so that everyone wins. Obviously, ban fracking and stop going back to that nonsense as well. And I think actually, if there's one silver lining we want to take from all this, I think... Isn't it interesting that really the, the, the final straw that broke the camel's back, if you like, for Liz Truss's government was that parliamentary debate on fracking? Because the anti-fracking campaign was community-led, because it involved communities across the country saying how much they didn't want fracking, there was real sense of jeopardy for a lot of MPs and Conservative MPs that they didn't want to allow fracking again. And that's what caused such a big problem for the Liz Trust government in the end. And I think that shows how all of us engaged in, in the environment movement. This isn't just about a, a technical debate. Actually, this is involving people and empowering people to take action on this agenda. Well, Craig, that's a, it's a lovely note to end on, really. I, I was going to ask you, where do you think we find the hope in this situation? But I think you've probably articulated that really well. It's actually about people, isn't it? Uh, well, I'll say one other thing. Actually, if you look at the history of social change, societies finally decide to go in one direction or not after a few rounds of an argument about something. <laughs> and maybe what we needed to have right now is have a bit of an argument about this to settle it once and for all. And what I would hope has happened over the last six weeks is once and for all it's been settled in the UK that this country does not want a government that's going to attack nature if actually that's what we conclude and if every politician from now on realises that the British public don't want this, guess what? We might come out stronger at the end of it. Yeah, and I think you know it's there in the polls. There were polls taken during the leadership context. There were polls taken you know, immediately when the new government was formed and they absolutely showed that this agenda for climate and nature is in the top three for what people want to see our governments tackling. So to ignore that, well, they've ignored it at their peril, really, I think. You know, that's cross-party. This is kind of people from every political persuasion really wanting to see their natural world restored and to see us addressing the issues associated with climate change. And I think that's, that's fantastic. That's a, real, that's a real mandate. That's a mandate for fantastic change. Well, that's where I find hope, definitely. The coalition is much broader than even that we've seen so far, isn't it? There are many more people that are bothered. Well, on that note... A huge thank you to our superb guests, Becky and Craig, and obviously Al Chisholm. It was wonderful to have you all with us. Thank you for joining us in what is a very busy news cycle. We will keep a very close eye on this topic over the coming days, weeks, hours, possibly even minutes. A huge thank you to you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Planet Possible is produced by Bulb. B-W-L-B, Bulb. The best ideas, the strongest content.